Before we start, I must let you know that this episode was recorded much earlier in the year and was made available to my patrons at that time. Welcome to Stories of Iceland. In episode 42, I noted that it had started as a prologue to another script I was going to write. Well, this is it. So if you have not listened to the last episode, you should do so now. This is a quote-unquote safe version of the episode that has removed some of the rudest parts. You should be able to find the not-safe-for-work version in the podcast feed. I am trying to keep up the schedule of one episode per month. Even though family matters did preoccupy me for a few weeks, I think I will manage. If you want me to focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash I'd like to thank all of my supporters, especially Troy Williams, Kristen Rose, Robin Williams, and Catherine Matthews, friends of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash Iceland. There is extra material there. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 43, Loki Plays the Dirty Dozens. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. The trickster is an archetype in folklore and mythology. We have the African spider god Ananasi and the North American tales of Coyote. It has even been argued that Satan, as he appears in the Bible, is more of a trickster than a truly evil character. Then there is Loki. Then there is Loki of the Norse pantheon. Like the others, he is a wonderful character. He is an instigator. Sometimes Loki's troublemaking seems to be caused by foolish actions, while at other times he seems to have a truly malicious intent. Sometimes Loki is the hero or anti-hero who saves the gods. Loki is the parent of monsters. He fathered the ocean worm Jörmungandr, the wolf Fenrir, and Hel who rules Hel. But he is also the mother of Sleipnir, the horse of Odin. Loki has been called gender-bending in the past, but language has evolved and given us terms like non-binary that seem to fit him better but I imagine he would still use he-him pronouns. The most infamous of all the Eddie poems is Lokasena, sometimes translated as Loki's altercation, the flighting of Loki, Loki's verbal duel, or 
the feast of Ayr. It is, mildly put, not for everyone. It is a dirty poem with nasty language. But it is also a part of Icelandic cultural heritage. If you skipped over the other warnings or you simply missed those, please be aware that this episode includes references to all sorts of sexual acts. At times it is also misogynistic, homo and transphobic. When Neil Gaiman published Norse Mythology, his excellent retelling of Norse myths, he left this story out. Was it too dirty for him, or were there other factors at play? The authenticity of Loki's altercation is often questioned. It is old, but how old? Some claim it is simply a product of a Christian poet who wanted to slander the old gods. Of course, this is often the problem with Icelandic sources about the Old Norse religion. As far as we know, nothing was written before Christianity became the established religion of Iceland. Book culture was a part of Christianity. The Norse had used runes, an almost democratic writing system that only required wood and a sharp object. They mostly wrote simple things that could be easily discarded. The exception was the elite that could commission rune stones to commemorate the dead. The Latin alphabet of the Middle Ages required expensive materials that were only available for the wealthy. Those who could write were trained in the Christian tradition. Manuscripts were often produced by monks in monasteries. We often assume a gap of about two centuries from the end of paganism before the manuscripts were written. But I think it is very likely that there was a period of time, decades at least, before the private worship of the old gods was abandoned. I think it is also fair to say that being on the edge of the Christian world meant that Icelanders could get away with a more flexible attitude towards paganism. So, even though the old religion was officially abolished, you could still recite the old poems and tales as entertainment. This is actually a key factor that eventually made it possible to record the myths. So the two questions we have to ask but can never really answer are what was actually preserved during the intermediate period, and what influence did Christianity have on the material? Loki's altercation is included in the most famous Eddic manuscript, the Codes Regius, the royal book. It is not only the subject material that makes Lokasena stand out in the book. The text includes inserts that are not part of the poem but denote who has the speaking role at each time. This has been interpreted as an indication that Lorke's altercation might have been formed as a drama, with performers portraying different characters. But this remains a minority view, The simplest explanation is that the inserts are to help the reader follow who is speaking. 
It is difficult enough in print, but would have been, to put it mildly, a frustrating task in a manuscript without line breaks or modern punctuation. I think I can state without any caveats that Lorke's altercation is the single most challenged poem of the Eddic canon. It is often considered to be fake, or at least heavily tinted with Christian propaganda against the old religion. The main reason for this is that the poem, or at least Loki himself, slanders the gods. The form of the poem is that of trading insults. It mirrors games and traditions found in various cultures, most notably playing the dozens, or more precisely, the dirty dozens in African-American communities. As I noted in the last episode, the Norse gods were not seen as infallible. They were not role models, they were flawed beings representing an unjust world. While a Christian poet writing about Jesus or the apostles in this way seems unthinkable, it wasn't necessarily so for a Norse poet. As a side note, I must say there have been points in history when Christians did allow themselves to joke quite freely about Christ. As with other Eddic poetry, there is much that is up for interpretation in the text of Loki's altercation. Some parts seem to have been scrambled by the passage of time. The poetic language itself is often confusing. We can never be sure what it meant. In my retelling, I will use my own interpretations, which is, of course, influenced by numerous scholars and translators. At the same time, I favor a clear narrative rather than a literal retelling of each line or stanza. Then there are times that I try to emphasize the funnier side of the text. In some places, I have inserted explanations within the text to make it easier to follow. But even so, I have some notes before I start. The poem refers to a gathering of gods with the words Aesir and Elves. This is a reference to the two main types of gods within the Norse pantheon. The Aesir are Odin and his family, along with some others. The so-called elves are likely synonymous with the Vanir. This group comprised of Njörður and his offspring Freyr and Freya. Another explanation I have to make is that at one point there is a servant named Bikwir, and the insults hurled at him make more sense if you know that his name means barleycorn. Finally, before I start, I must stress that some of the things said by Loki are confirmed in other sources, but many of the slanders he puts forward are only known from this poem. Some of those unique to Loki's altercation could be interpreted as simple lies, but others might have been known from sources that are now lost to us. This hint of older material is the reason why I say we cannot ignore the poem. It is likely influenced by Christians trying to slander the old gods, but it could also tell us something about the actual beliefs of the pagan Norse. 
And so the tale begins. Ayr, god of the sea, had invited the gods to feast. It was held in a magnificent hall, lit by gold rather than fire. The host had just acquired a mighty new kettle, made some ale in it, and decided that this was a good excuse for a party. We can imagine that Ayr spent quite some time explaining his brewing techniques to his guests. Gathered there were Aesir and elves, excluding Thor, who was campaigning in the east. Everyone was merry until the gods decided to heap praise upon Eldir and Fimfingur, the servants of Ayr. This angered the trickster Loki, who was obviously overly sensitive. Instead of going outside to cool off, Loki simply killed Fimfingur. This rather upset the Aesir, who screamed at him, shook their shields, and ran him off to the woods. Then they returned to their drinking. Loki's anger only festered, so he decided to return. Outside the hall he was met by the servant Eldir, who told him that the Aesir and elves were busy talking about their own greatness and accomplishments and would not appreciate his return. Loki replied that he should go in and mix a little venom in their ale. Still trying to reason with him, Eldir warned Loki that he might receive some poison in return. Loki ignored the servant and stormed into the hall. His entrance was met with cold silence. He proclaimed that he had just returned from a long journey and would like some mead. There was no reply. Then Loki said, why are you so quiet and swollen with pride? Give me a seat at the feast, or tell me to go. The first to speak was Brahe, god of poets, who told Loki that from now on there would be no seat for him. But the sly god had an ace up his sleeve and reminded Odin that they were blood brothers and had sworn that when a drink was poured for one of them, the other should also have his share. To this the Allfather replied, If we don't give him a drink, he'll ruin the rest of the party, and asked his son Vidar to pour him some. Happy with his little victory, Loki raised his cup and said, All of you gods and goddesses are truly magnificent, except Brahe over there. The poet replied, I would be happy to give you a horse, a sword, and a ring if you just stop being such a nuisance. Seeing this as a chance to make his fun last a little longer, Loki doubled down. You'll never be rich in horses, swords, or rings. You are a coward on the battlefield, quick to flee, late to pursue. This taunting was starting to get to Bray, who replied, if we weren't here in Ayrshal, I would totally mess you up. This did not have the desired effect. Loki simply invited Brahe to take it outside, but Eden, guardian of the apples of eternal youth, 
did not want her husband to take up this offer and pleaded to Braille to think of the children and not stoop to the trickster's level. Be quiet, Eden, said Loki, before he accused her of promiscuity. The apple keeper proclaimed that she was just going to ignore Loki and concentrate on calming her husband so his drunken state would not lead him to do something stupid. But not everyone could hold their tongue. Gevion, the goddess of women who died as maidens, exclaimed, Why do we have to listen to this? Everyone knows that Loki has a wicked tongue and hates us all. Be quiet, Gevion, said Loki. I'll just remind you about the fair boy who gave you a necklace. You were so grateful that you took him under your thighs. Not happy with this, Odin told Loki he was drunk and crazy to attack Gevion, who knew the fate of all. Be quiet, Odin, said Loki. You pretend to give victory only to those who deserve it, but I know you often favor the unworthy. Odin took the bait and thought he would be able to shut up by claiming that his blood brother was not a real man since he had spent eight winters under the ground, milking cows and bearing children. Be quiet, Odin, said Loki. You're one to talk. They say you spent time in Samsor, dressed as a sorceress, wandering from house to house. That does not sound manly to me. At this point, Odin's wife Frick decided to try to calm things down and warned Loki not to dredge up the past. Be quiet, Frick, said Loki. You really like men, even your husband's brothers. If only I had a son like Baldr with me here, you would have to put up or shut up, replied Frick, seemingly trying to goad the males to use force to bring peace to the hall. Be quiet, Frick, said Loki. I made sure you would not see Baldr in these halls. Since none of the men had been shamed into taking on Loki, it was up to Freya to warn him that it was unwise to remind them all of his past ill deeds. Be quiet, Freya, Loki. I know all about you. You've had intimate relations with every elfin icer in this hall. You should not spread lies, replied Freya. You will only seal your fate, and nothing but sadness awaits after your departure from this hall. Be quiet, Freya, said Loki. You are an evil witch. I know that you broke wind when the gods found you with your brother. This was too much for Njordr, who stated his support of his daughter's sexual freedom, saying it didn't matter if a woman had a husband or a lover. But he undercut his progressive feminist stand by saying Loki was a weird womanly god because he had given birth to children. Be quiet, Njordr, said Loki. When you were sent east as a hostage, the Yurton women had you help them with their basic necessities. Njordr was not put off balance by this, and instead boasted that he, unlike Loki, had a son that was loved by all. Stop it, Njordr, said Loki. I will not keep your secret any longer. That son you brag about is... Related to you in more ways than one. 
Tyr, the god of war, decided to join this verbal battle and defended Freyr, son of Njordr, as a great man and a great rider who breaks men's chains but causes no sorrow to the maiden or the wife. Be quiet, Tyr. Even with two hands you could never make peace, and now you have lost your right one to Fenrir the wolf. I might have lost a hand, replied Tyr. But your son the wolf is worse off, since he will be bound until Ragnarok. Be quiet, Tyr, said Loki. Your wife gave birth to my son, and you never received any compensation, not in money or goods. Silent until now, Freyr decided to join in, saying, The wolf will lie bound, his drool forming a river, until the gods do battle, but then added, You should be careful, lest you will be bound yourself, smith of evil. Look, he said, You are the fool who gave up your sword for love. So when the dark forces attack, you will die without being able to defend yourself. Great servant Bikwir came to his master's defense. Father of the royal house of the Inglings, Freyr is the noblest of all, while you are only an evil crow that I will grind into small bits. What little creature do I see you wagging its tail? asked Loki mockingly. You whisper in Freyr's ears, but if you want to grind something, start with your corn. I am known to be swift by both gods and men, said Brigwir. Proud I am to serve in the hall with Odin and his lot. Be quiet, Brigwir, said Loki. You are even unfit to serve food, and when called to battle, you are nowhere to be found. Having used only his enhanced power of sight and hearing until now, Heimdallur decided to open his mouth and state the obvious. Loki, the drink has made you into a complete loon. Be quiet, Himdadlur, said Loki. Your pathetic lot in life is to stand guard with a stiff back while you get covered with dirt. Of those present, none had a better reason to hate Loki than Skadi, wife of Njordr. Loki had been the ringleader of the gods who killed her father, Thersi. She chimed in and warned, you might be quite cheery now, but just wait. A sharp sword will be used to cut your son's entrails, and with them the gods will bind you. Even this did not face Loki, who turned to Skadi. You're no fun anymore. Remember how I cheered you up after your father's killing? I tied myself to a goat and did a little tug of war with the animal. You thought that was the funniest thing ever. At this, Siv, wife of Thor, stepped up and poured mead in a glass cup for Loki and said, Share this cup with me. You must at least accept that my behavior has always been impeccable. Loki took the cup but counter Siv's claim. You might repel most men, but I know you well. Now Freyr's other servant, Bela, joined in and warned that the mountains were shaking which meant that Thor was joining the feast 
and would undoubtedly shut Loki up. Be quiet, Bela, said Loki. You are as low as your man, Bikwir, dirty from kneading dough. At this point, Thor arrived. Be quiet, you wild beast, the god of thunder shouted. I will end your life by crushing your head with my mighty hammer, Mjölnir. A little late to the party, aren't you? replied Loki. You talk big now, but you will slip quietly away while the wolf kills your father. Be quiet, you wild beast, said Thor. I will shut your mouth with my hammer, striking you so hard that you will fly all the way to your birthplace in the east. Prompted with talk of the east, Loki reminded Thor how scared the god had been when they met the giant screamer. You didn't even dare speak your name and hid yourself away in his glove. Be quiet, you wild beast, said Thor. We will see if your mouth still works after I cross every bone in your body. I intend to live a long life, despite your threats, replied Loki, and again reminded Thor about the trip to the east and how the god grew hungry because he couldn't even open Screamer's bag of food. Be quiet, you wild beast, said Thor. My hammer will put you inside the gates of hell. I have said all I needed, and now I will leave this place since I know that otherwise Thor will kill me, said Loki. Ayr, your ale was outstanding, but this is the last party you will ever hold in this hall, since, before long, it will be consumed by fire. After this, Loki ran away and turned himself into a salmon, hiding away in a river. But to no avail, he was still caught by the gods. They turned his son Narvi into a wolf that killed his own brother, Nari. Then the gods tied Loki with the intestines of his son, after this, Skadi placed a worm where it dripped poison over Loki's head. His wife, Seen, stands by with a bowl to catch the drops, but that is not enough. When the bowl becomes full, she needs to bring the container outside and empty it. Then the poison drips on Loki's face. The pain causes him to shake and squirm so violently that the earth itself trembles. This is what we call earthquakes. That was quite a ride. The epilogue of the poem, The Fate of Loki, is repeated in other sources, but the reasons given for his punishment are quite different. But these sources do at least agree on the causes of earthquakes. So go out and debate all those geologists who think they know so much. That is it for today. Thanks to Vaida von Helstare, Emily Cooper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgeson, Christopher Barth, and all my other supporters. And always special thanks to Catherine Matthews, Robin Williams, Troy Williams, and Kristen Rose, friends of the podcast. I am Olgnis Solerson, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 43, Loki Place, The Dirty Dozens. Mm-hmm.